0: Welcome to CTN CIO Talk Network with your host Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now here's Sanjo Gall.
1: Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And today's topic is building future leaders for hybrid work environment. So we all know the hybrid work environment seems to be here to stay. You have to motivate people, you have to engage them, you have to lead the team, you cannot see face to face all the time. How do you do that? Then how do you make sure that the communication, the trust building, the collaboration, and even making sure that they are accountable, how do you enable something like that happening? Then you got the different leadership approaches that you may have tried pre pandemic and even otherwise in different situations. Do they all still work? If you are tweaking, what are you tweaking? And then, more importantly, while you will hold the baton today, but you will pass that on to someone else, which is a future leader, how are you developing them? Tough questions. But I believe the discussion is definitely required on this subject matter because we have our future at stake. So that said, our guest for today to discuss these interesting and important topics is Rajiv Ravindran. He's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer for Rider. Hey, Rajiv, how are you?
2: Hey, how are you, Sanjog? Nice
1: Very to Very good, here. sir. Very good. Nice to have you. And we have John Kolb, who's the Vice President for Information Services and Technology and the Chief Information Officer for Rensselaer Polytechnic. Institute. How are you, John?
3: I'm doing well also, and, and my boss always says I have too long of a title, so we'll have to work on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a lot of responsibilities, it looks like, yeah? So so let's jump in. So we are talking about, you know, in this day and age when you're trying to go hybrid, and just before we got started, we were talking about how will you bring people back in, and would you stay hybrid, or you will bring them all in, et cetera. So all of that discussion is underway, but till the time our future really settles down on what we will end up doing and we do not know what next disruption will bring, we have to fundamentally start thinking that there could be disruption or we are in this flux or we may be in flux, state of flux all the time. So what do you do in terms of leading and motivating and engaging your troops? What do you, in fact, did try now or during the past year, which... Was a situation we never encountered before. And when you did try whatever you tried, what worked, what did not work, and where did you struggle? So, Rajiv, loaded question, but I guess you can give us a rundown on what did you try doing in the last year.
2: So, you know, it's, uh, you know, RIDA, ha- fortunately, RIDA has had quite a bit of experience working remotely. Uh, we have about 900 people in technology, including contractors spread across Mexico. Canada, UK, and several locations within the US. And that's not counting our managed service providers. Our business partners are also spread out across these locations as well. So, you know, communication has always been the cornerstone to our success. And that's true here too. So, we've been at this for about a year and a half now. And the positives, I think, are that employees are enjoying having more autonomy. Uh, they don't have long commutes, uh, especially here in South Florida. And, uh, you know, remote working has, during the pandemic, proves that we can be productive outside the office. Now, the struggles that we've seen, you know, there's no delineation between work and home. I mean, think about your drive home, right? You're driving home, you get to decompress. And you, you know, you come to your front door, you, you most times you leave your work at work and you're with your family. That delineation doesn't exist, Right. So, that's, that's, that's been a challenge, right? Onboarding new employees and assimilating them into the culture of the company is much harder now. Uh, many employees are working very, very hard. And there's, I think there's a lot of virtual fatigue, right? And they feel like they're on call 24 by 7. And then, you know, in, for, from a company perspective, we have fear of losing our company culture. And you've all heard about the mental health crisis that's happening right now. So do we expect managers to be qualified to talk about mental health? And so these are some of the challenges that we're looking at. and, and, And as we talk more, I'll expand on that. So I'm trying to show a little bit of the positive and then some of the struggles that we're facing right now.
1: So, John, I'm sure you tried whatever you could based on the experience you've had and the things that you've seen work. If you were to do a compare and contrast with the newer post-pandemic world, whatever that is today, and what you tried to do earlier in terms of leading, motivating, and engaging your people, what did you see working, and where did you still feel you need a solution?
3: Well, it's interesting. when, uh, If you go back uh, to mid-March of 2019, I think most of us thought, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going remote for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back in here. Um, And uh, that wasn't terribly realistic as we certainly know now. And uh, so we had to evolve what we were doing. Uh, I went out of my way to connect my senior leadership team to the business, uh, if you will, we call them portfolios. So we're a university. So, you know, deans of schools, vice presidents of divisions, things like that. And I made sure that they had a direct connection into our leadership team so they could call up somebody if they wanted to. Um, We had, uh, I think, uh, Rajiv hit it right on the head with communications was critical. And we uh, had a meeting. I had a meeting of my senior group every day. Uh, for probably six months. And they, were, <laughs> they used to talk about virtual fatigue, uh, regime They were probably fatigued of seeing the CIO too much. Uh, but uh, I think that was actually a key to some of our success is we just spent a lot of time uh, communicating up and down. And I, I spent a lot more time in virtual meetings with uh, uh, various uh, folks in our units. Uh, and I think it helped that we knew each other relatively well before the pandemic. you mentioned onboarding. We had some onboarding, but not uh, a lot. Most of the people had already been here. They had dealt with each other uh, face to face. So it was easier to move into a virtual mode uh, because uh, you you still knew somebody. And I I think that is really a key. If we started out in a virtual mode, I think we would be doing things very much differently.
1: So based on Rajiv when you started was there an expectation set up front? Because, of course, everyone was learning. It, it you know, came from the left field. We did not know what to do. While we, were, we may not be totally clueless, but we started you know, developing things and doing improvisation and somehow got through all of that. But if you were to look at some net changes that you brought about in the methods of communication and collaboration, yes, we understand technology part, but besides that, how somebody is supposed to be available, how should they collaborate, how should they communicate, what would you say are some of the pillars of those related policies and methods which you know are working well in the hybrid work environment?
2: You know, yes, uh, great question. So, you know, fortunately, and, and I hate saying there's always room for improvement, right? And, and you, you're right. You hit the key. It's about adaptability. So I'm going to segue a little bit. When we talked about, you asked what leadership qualities, right? One of the things that I've always preached that a, leader, a good leader should have is adaptability. Being, be, being able to stop, look around, and say, okay, this is what's happening. And starting with that person themselves, change. How do I change? Because if you don't change and you're fixed in your thought process, then you can't help your people. So, that, that one of the leadership qualities that I've preached even before this is that adaptability. So, that was key. And if your, your people are the same way, they ha- they're adaptable, then your, your employees will actually you know, do better from that. So, you know we didn't have to change too much. So, adoption wasn't a challenge, you know. You know, because we are faced with the threat of hurricanes and, and we were prepared with our business continuity and disaster recovery plan. And that helped us immensely and, sorry, and immediately. So things like security, bandwidth, redundancy, and availability were all tested in place. And we had, and our corporate internet was critical during the pandemic, you know, with continuous communication to all employees. But, you know, I had to stand back and look at how are the people feeling? And, and that, was, that was the key. So, one of the things that that when I got together with my team is the constant communication, so we had weekly staff meetings and, and John's right, so we you know I think they got sick of seeing me on every every team's meeting call right so um so weekly staff meetings, and my rule is the camera has to be on, so I expect them to do the same thing all the way down to the managers, and we have weekly one on ones with individuals starting with and it's not about work it's about. How are they doing? How are their families doing? Is there anything that we can do to help? That's the first question that everyone should ask. And then we have you know, much larger groups, all-hands meetings to set the vision and report out on accomplishments. And then team meetings to celebrate success. That was a big thing that we did. Uh, we hand out IT awards for accomplishments. We even tried virtual happy hours which was pretty funny, actually, Uh, virtual team building games. And then, you know, one of the things that I like to do is randomly call people and see how they're doing. But the most fun that I personally had recently was we had a huge ERP project that went live remotely, too, which encompasses a lot of the questions you're asking into one package. It was a three-year project, huge, biggest project writers done. And what, what, uh, what we did recently, a team member and I drove to everybody's house with the award, and thank them and their families, because they spent an inordinate amount of time, so everything that you can do to really touch people as as far down the chain as you can and really make them feel like hey they're part of a a, a, a great organization so those are some of the things that we did
1: all right so uh, when you talk about uh, Rajiv about the 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 what I call as the glorious uh you know, things that you did and the projects, what were the bruises? Where did you feel that there was an adoption channel, p- challenges people pushed back and you had to uh, improvise, if you will, to get around it?
2: Yeah. So things that we didn't know, because you don't know what a family is going through. And that, that, was the, that, that was the biggest challenge. So we had to guess. And a lot of people are very private about, you know, what they, you know, what they share um and, and and if you look at early on in the pandemic, you know people were worrying about their loved ones, their jobs, the economy, civil unrest, nightly curfews, and in Florida, top it off like I said, hurricane season, so they had all this pressure, so there were things that you know I think you know maybe they want to be they were trying to figure it out themselves, so sometimes maybe over communicating and it, it's a it's a balancing act right, so you want to connect with them, but they're already burnt out with. Um, you know, team calls or Zoom calls, and now you're saying, hey, you know what? Hey, here's me again. Hey, how can I help? And they're like, just, I need some time. So that was one of the things um, that I was worried about, and I, I think that was the case, right? So giving them time, letting them figure out you know, how they want to communicate, it becomes more employee-centric rather than work-centric. So that's one of the big shifts. When we say people are going to hybrid, I'm, I still feel like we're trying to figure it out. No one has the answers. And every company, I think, is different because they have a culture that comes along with the hybrid workplace. So those are kind of things we're still trying to figure out. And I think the survey that we talked about is going to give us a lot of insight.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And when we come back, John, I would like to ask this question, which I still haven't gotten a real answer, which is, If we are saying we want to be good in terms of communication and collaboration, and we want to be streamlined in a hybrid workplace environment, should we be aspiring to make it as good as in-person work environment? And I fundamentally challenge that, my own statement, by saying, is in-person the best? Or should we be fundamentally rethinking what that communication and collaboration would look like, which will actually get a, get us even better outcome than what we used to use as a benchmark for in-person work environment. What would that look like in your view? What did you use as that as a benchmark to make the changes that you had to and what happened when you use them as benchmark and put things in place? Did they work? Did they fall flat on its face or somewhere in between? Let's explore when we come back. Please stay tuned, listeners.
0: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome
1: back. So, John, I might want to use a brand-new benchmark for what streamlined communication and collaboration would mean in a hybrid workplace versus trying to always look up to so-called holy grail of what in-person work environment was like, because we might be chasing the wrong benchmark if that's the case. What do you think on that?
3: Well, I I think it's multifaceted and it's interesting. And and I think it's like a lot of other pieces of this, it's still evolving. Uh, I think that there are, first of all, I think uh, what Rajiv said about employee-centric is very important in this environment. Uh, Make sure you're paying attention to your employees. But as always, as business people, we're we're looking for outcomes, right? What, you know, the three-year project that Rajiv mentioned or other things that we've done here, what were the outcomes of that? And that's really how you should be measuring things, right? And did you really produce the things that you were supposed to be producing? And to do that, uh, typically in our world, you need to be very strong in communications and collaboration. Uh, I found in the virtual world that sometimes it was actually more efficient and more effective um, you tend to when you get on the Zoom or WebEx, uh, bin uh, or treadmill, I guess is a better way to say it. Uh, I found I was much more regimented in my schedule that, uh, and other people were too. And starting meetings and stopping meetings uh, because you know there wasn't this milling outside my office. It was we were starting at eight o'clock. We were starting at eight o'clock, starting at two o'clock, starting at two o'clock, and and so that was more efficient. And I think that people were more efficient in some of their use of time at home even with some uh, uh interruptions of home life and so on uh and and they were managing their time too so if they got interrupted at two o'clock in the afternoon they were coming back at seven o'clock at night and uh, working on something and so on and and making sure that people had that good life uh, work balance was important uh, uh too I, I um i think one of the things you miss in the virtual environment versus the face to face is a uh, is a serendipity of running into somebody in the, the hallway or somewhere else and you can have a chat and catch up and and get something done and that's a little harder to do in the virtual world but by the same token in the virtual world you may have your nose to the grindstone a little bit more and can focus a little bit more on some of the tasks that you're working on so um there's a trade-off here. And I I think we're also trying to figure out uh, how to make that work as we go forward.
1: So building on this, I'll go back to a prior comment Rajiv you made that you asked everyone that video is mandatory. And because you said it, people will listen because you're the CIO. But do you think a video is what's going to make a difference in the way they are engaged? What was your... uh, Reason for asking that as a mandatory step, because you would not know how they 're thinking what their facial expressions are as people are interacting with each other, and when you did present that as an option, did people push back what happened um,
2: they didn 't push back um, they actually enjoyed it too because we we don 't spend our meetings just talking about you know about work. we try and make it a you know, we try to connect. So I, th- I think in, I, now I don't know if that's a bias that I have because I enjoy people. I like talking to people. I like looking them in the eye and having a conversation. That connection is is important for me. And so that may be a bias that I have. So when I t- think about that, some, these, some of these things, I have to figure out, is it my bias or is it the right thing to do, right? So going back to what a lot of things John said, it it resonates really well. I want to start with the fact that I don't think anyone knows what the hybrid model looks like fully. They don't, I don't think people have all the answers. So, you know, we went from an office-centric design on-site to a virtual office-centric design off-site, and now we're trying to understand what a human-centric design, which is a hybrid model. And I don't think we have all the nuances yet because we don't have enough data to actually bring that in. So when you talk about, you know, starting fresh, I don't think unless you're a new startup, I don't think you can start fresh. So I agree with John. There's there's that he mentioned serendipity. There's a loss of connection, I, I feel. And how do we close that gap on that connection? Because you want to be part of something. Employees like to be part of something, right? And and maybe that's changed, but I I don't think so because there are people that still reach out and say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a long time, and they enjoy the interaction. There's a loss of consistency. And this is a, I think this is a misnomer because, you know, we think, okay, if everyone comes to the office, I can keep an eye on them. I know exactly what they're doing. Not necessarily. You can sit behind your desk and be playing games, right? So there's some, some old thinking that we have to break out of. And I think the most important piece is looking at yourself and saying, do I have any biases that's preventing me from running a highly efficient and um, uh, enjoyable workplace? So one of the things is, you know productivity i'm actually measuring productivity of the people and it is 27% greater than it was before the pandemic now sounds great we're delivering on time on budget with quality but what's the flip side people are getting burnt out so there has to be a balance i think john mentioned the work life balance that is critical and this is sort of forcing people to take a break making sure that they're, they're spending time decompressing. And those are the conversations that, you know, when, when you, a manager and the employee have, they should be focused on. So a big shift, I think, that from a leadership perspective is the, you know, empathy piece, right? How do you manage with empathy first? That doesn't mean you don't have outputs, the deliverables, but it should be empathy first. I think that's a biggest shift that you're going to see.
1: So John, let's talk about trust building, which is essentially a trait of a leader where they should initiate that part. And then the trust or that culture of trust could be spawned or fostered within the organization. So in this hybrid workplace, where did you see potential of trust being eroded or what things that you tried, which allowed you to approach this whole trust building from totally a different dimension compared to when you were meeting them face-to-face or doing your town halls and or water coolers?
3: Yeah, I think it's, that's right in line with what Rajiv was just talking about. And I didn't require video on, uh, people just wanted to have their video on. And a couple times when I asked people to turn their video on on a larger meeting when uh, they were being a little shy, but um, Uh, In general, uh, in particular, my senior group, when we meet, everybody has their video on, we're all engaged. Uh, We do spend a fair amount of time talking about things beyond work uh, because we enjoy each other. We want to know what uh, each other is up to, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, that's, uh, I think, a part of trust building that we can have those kind of conversations in a conference room, uh, in a building, and we can have those kind of conversations on a webex or a zoom call uh and because we know each other and trust each other uh keeping that going is uh, a, it's it's part of our culture in terms of what we do um i, I did like uh, what rajiv said about um focused on um uh, people and productivity and uh we do that here too and uh, I'm, I'm particularly attuned to things that might be going on in people's lives uh, that might affect uh, what they're doing at work, um, both negative or positive. And, um, and I've, I've paid a lot of attention to that over um, the, the last year. Uh, I have also spent a fair amount of time having larger Zoom calls that go deeper into the organization than I might normally go, uh, and, and I've started some of those conversations off with, uh, you know, because the CIO is showing up. Everybody's a little worried. Okay. What is, what is, he going to announce this time? And I started it off with, there's no announcement. Uh, there's no, no things that are, are different. I I'm really here. I want to listen to how things are going for all of you. And, uh, it could be, uh, you know, are, are we uh, getting the certain project done on time? And it could be uh, the cat's driving me crazy every time I try to get something done uh, and so on. So uh, those conversations, I think, are really important to people. Uh, and they're important to me, uh, uh, both uh, listening and, and talking about uh, what we're doing.
1: So, Rajiv, whenever we approach this whole trust building, uh, we do it with Announcing certain things. Well, I know, John, you said there is not much of an announcement in a meeting, but people get some sort of an announcement or some sort of a glimpse of a change that's coming. And people might go a little skeptic at at first, and then maybe over time, they will start believing if the right things happen. What you say versus what you do and what you don't say and what you don't do, everything has an impact on trust. So Rajiv, if you were to say a playbook was to be created where someone created an environment, and they enabled the technology, the way you presented it to them, and then what you actually ended up doing in terms of implementing it. That's phase one. Second is once that technology platform and policies and procedures were put in place, and then you started actually using them, what you said versus what you did, so that the end result is that they feel assured that nobody's coming down, breathing down my neck. It is for my own benefit. They want us to survive and thrive. What were the learnings and revelations that you got that what you should or one one leader must do and must not do in both of these stages? Setting up the environment and then helping them live the environment and all throughout this change, people feel assured and that would be the basis of trust.
2: Um, First of all, I want to say, I think John and I were separated at birth because I think a lot (laughs) of things that uh, he said it's exactly what you know the approach that I have as well. Um, you know, when you talk about trust, trust is such a broad word. It can mean so many things, right? And trust doesn't happen overnight. If the employees didn't trust the leadership in IT, me, before the pandemic, that mountain is much harder to climb. So we also have long-tenured employees that have witnessed leadership walking the talk, as you said, right? But that doesn't mean that we can rest on our laurels. So it's even more important to our people during a crisis think about what they went through initially it, when when it first started everything was an unknown so the first thing is the transparency right so uh, the leadership team the executive leadership team we had meetings on a weekly basis and the only thing that was talked about in that one hour meeting were the employees how are they affected what can we do for them you know where are we going with this right so also, they see that we you know, we provided necessary PPE and safety protocols to the whole workforce that's required that had to be on location. And we implemented the response services for Rider to provide cleaning supplies and any necessary items to support the, the employees. So when they see all this, that trust saying, hey, they have a back. But the most important thing, I think, is the transparency. So the communication, the CEO all the way down, uh, the leadership team would Communicate with all the employees, saying, "Here's exactly what's going on. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we think is going to happen." And that transparency, that constant communication, it continued to build trust. But like I said, this trust was already there before we went into the pandemic, so it was a it was continued. But even with that, people were worried that you can't, you know, if you don't have any information, you know, you sort of make up your own stories in your head. So to to alleviate that, we were very transparent with what's going on, including the coming back to work. We still don't know. We're learning. Let's see how it goes. Let's try these things. If it doesn't work, we'll change. And that communication is what's really creating the trust, I think.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners, when we come back. So John, you get the honors of talking about accountability, which in a way is also uh, going to use trust as the background. So I'd like to pose that question, starting from trust building or restoring or maintaining trust And how did you lead that to establishing or at least preserving the accountability that existed before we went hybrid or before we went remote? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So, John, as I requested, let's build or get your response on the trust building. What did you any different than what uh, Rajiv did? And how did you use that? Or did something different and new or more to actually restore or establish accountability among the people who need to all work together to get things done. Because accountability, it's in an own animal and it can keep shifting depending on the environment. And this was a big shift.
3: Well, for all of us, it was a big shift. Uh, in, in our business, um, we have uh, students returning in the fall and so on of uh, fall of uh, uh, 2020. Um, and uh, we we instituted a new testing program for them. Uh, we instituted uh, some restrictions on who was coming back and who wasn't coming back. Uh, a number of things that, if you will, a little bit outside of the IT world, uh, but it affected the IT world in terms of things we had to do. We started up our own uh, COVID testing lab, um, and we were doing that uh, here to so we could get a less than a twenty four hour turnaround on uh testing um, but to do that we had to develop some i t tools uh to automate the process to scale it up to uh, doing on the order of ten thousand uh, tests a week um, and without the i t we, we wouldn't have been able to do that so uh being accountable there it it had to work everybody's watching uh and this was something brand new that we were uh, working to make uh, work with uh, not only the local uh, doctor on campus, but the the lab that we had set up with one of our biochemists, uh, the uh, state health lab and a local hospital and and so on. So, you know, there's a project that came out of nowhere uh, that in our planning uh, a year or two before uh, was nowhere on our, our radar screen and uh, everybody's watching, you have to be accountable, you have to make it work. Uh, so we certainly needed to trust each other in terms of how how do we go forward there and where were the pitfalls. Uh, one of the things that we've done a lot on this campus and I've been part of the leadership on this is uh, we've done a number of tabletop exercises where we've actually put a, a scenario out there like, okay, here's all the students returning for the fall, how are we going to test them? or um here's another event coming where we're going to we ended up uh sending our residential students home at thanksgiving and doing virtual uh uh, finals uh, because we didn't want them to go home and then come back and so on so over the year i think we had 10 different tabletops and the tabletops include not only i.t but it includes public safety, it includes uh, administration, physical plant folks, it includes the health services folks, the people that are testing, everything else, and how do we go through that? It included procurement because there were some items that were difficult to, to procure uh, that we needed for the testing and so on. So when you do that uh, and, and you have uh, 50 or 60 people from around the campus that are You know, one person's worried about research, one person's worried about transportation, one person's worried about something else and getting all those folks to focus on. But this is how we're going to bring families in and they know that their son or daughter is going to be safe here uh, and we're going to take care of them here. How do we go about doing that? And, you know, that that's trust not only inside, uh, in terms of the community that runs the university, but it's trust to your clients and customers who are looking for you to be you know, best of breed in terms of how do you do these things. So hopefully that answers your question with a, a little bit of an antidote.
1: Yeah, there definitely does. And then we speak about trust. So then accountability is, okay, so there is, there is a thought around uh, the fact that people don't do what you expect, people do what you inspect and that could happen at a field staff level. But as you go higher up, you see that some sort of a leadership DNA could be expected while you could have a person who could demonstrate leadership at the very field staff level. But then the accountability should come from somewhere. It's come from within themselves. It's in the way you develop them or you create some environment and or you create trust. So I'd like to bring this question to you, Rajiv. If I were to create a recipe of having people accountable who were accountable earlier, have them maintain that accountability, and or people who were developing there, they start becoming accountable and not use the shift or this disruption as an excuse. How did you manage all that?
2: So, yes, all of the above. So, (laughs) you know, I I think... I think most things you can apply the bell curve to. So when you talk about accountability, let's start with accountability. It's not holding somebody else accountable. It has to start with you. You have to feel like you own it all the way from beginning to end. And what I heard from what John was saying, and John, if I'm wrong, um, uh, correct me, I have to. I think that you were personally involved in a lot of things that you talked about, tabletop exercises, et cetera. So yes. that's where it starts. I think you have to show that you are you are deeply ingrained in in the success of your, your your team. So some of the things that we've done, for example, right? So we have a project dashboard and it's not a dashboard you throw up and no one looks at. So every 2 weeks I have a meeting to talk about every project that we have every big project, but it's not just the IT folks in there. I have the IT folks in there. I have the finance folks in there. I have the business folks who own the project and the accountability is across the board. So the project dashboard has multiple lights. It's not the traditional on time and on budget alone. There is uh, issues with vendor that can be turned red. There's um, the business not um, collaborating well. There's it not collaborating well. So I'm showing that, that, that we're all in this together it's not about one team it's across the board but again these are things that i'm showing to to demonstrate what account, accountability looks like if we have another you know we have uh, i use signal for communication with the it folks and i have a group chat there with 70 people in it when there's a system outage it automatically triggers the signal application saying hey we have this system issue and I'm on there too. So I will ask questions if I see a lag in responses. So they know I'm on there. So what this has done is it's completely changed the way we tackle issues with that many people getting an alert saying, hey, there's an issue, people jump on it from anywhere, right? And that's what that really helped us through the pandemic as well. So accountability can be demonstrated. Some people are just, it's in their DNA. Some people you can show. And they they realize it, right? It's a shadow of a leader, right? So I have to show that. I have to demonstrate that. And then people will follow. And there'll be some that just don't have the accountability. And then there's a, a another path for them.
1: So Rajiv, like you mentioned that you are in that chat group, which has got 70 people. And this is just one outage we're talking about. And I hope that there are not that many outages that happen in an enterprise. But there could be many other places where such a group might be created but if you start adding yourself in each group while you're demonstrating accountability you'll go nuts and not be able to sleep and that's why you have a bigger enterprise so how could you make sure that you did not have to be on that group and still have people become accountable versus them knowing that rajiv is watching so let me behave
2: that that's a great question so um and this is a discussion that um that one of my um my, one of my leaders had with me and Initially, it was, it was fear. Well, yeah, it was fear, but I, I'm, I'm in it. And what happened over time is that I had to respond less and less. Initially, I was constantly texting. It almost seemed like it was micromanaging, but that was when I first started at Rider. In, in the past three years, I'm, I barely, if I look at it, but I, I, I know that the team's got it handled. So it's, it's a, a declining curve. So if there's an issue then I create a separate team, that I won't inundate the whole team. I'll have a separate team meeting and, and have a discussion about what happened. Now, I also, if it's a serious issue that I I feel like it's dragged on, I will have a meeting. I'll call a meeting, and I have a discussion and I listen to everybody's point of view and then weigh in. So I try to lead by example and have them make the decision and I'll guide. I don't. I rarely dictate unless it's a critical issue. Right. It's like you know the story that you know you the, there's a ship that's heading towards an iceberg. And the captain, you know, hands over the steering wheel to his first mate and says, "Hey, you know, there's an iceberg. Keep an eye on it." And the, the ship gets closer, and the, the the ship hasn't steered away from the iceberg. And the captain comes and says, "Hey, don't forget, there's an iceberg." Half an hour later, it's getting close. The captain takes over the steering, steers around the iceberg, gives it back to the first mate, and has then, when it's all clear, they have a discussion about what happened to to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So that's the, that's the approach I always use.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And John, when we come back, let us talk about the different specific approaches that you try to do to make sure that people do the right things and the things right when no one was watching, including yourself. It's, it's a pursuit of perfection. But put in, throw in the, 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 uh, you know, this this curveball of hybrid work and pandemic and all of that. What did you do specifically as a leader, not as a manager, as a leader, so that they did the right things and all the things they were supposed to do right without you watching? Please stay tuned listeners, we'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sun Joe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, John,
1: doing things right and doing the right things, both are important. And you got a hybrid workplace and you had a pandemic and people facing whatever they're facing. And yes, you can try to be around in every situation, and watch everything, but that's not practical. So what would be your moves, special moves and leadership approaches, which you would have tried and you would recommend others try so that both of those things means doing the things right and doing the right things happen when you are not watching?
3: Well, I think it ties back uh, well to uh, one of our previous segments. Uh, and I think Rajiv talked about you have to hold yourself accountable before you can hold others accountable. And, and so, you know, I certainly dug into a number of things to make it clear that I was in there working with other folks to get things done. Uh, these tabletops that I mentioned, uh, Rajiv was right. I was very much uh, asked to be a leader of those even though I didn't have an awful lot of experience uh, doing some of those tabletop exercises and the way they're conducted and so on. But it, it sent a, a pretty clear message that uh, at a, the highest levels of the university, we're very interested in having these things done, done well. And um, here was the VP of IT that was uh, uh, helping to lead all this. Uh, and, and part of it, I think, is... Uh, without getting lost in a parable, but it, it's at some point uh, as a leader, you don't want to do all the fishing for folks. You want to teach people how to fish. And and I think that's what we were doing uh, with our tabletops and other things is we were teaching other people uh, across the university, not just in IT, how to fish. And uh, the last, uh, I, I think there's a the next tabletop, uh, I will probably take a, a more uh, rear seat uh, view on uh, because I think others are ready to really step up and and lead that, and and the last couple I, I've noticed how things have just gone smoother uh, as we've gone because people ha- are starting to anticipate uh, what they need to have done uh, or answered before they get into these uh, tabletops, and there's a and it's nice to see across the organization, not just within the division that I. I manage, But across the organization, there's a, a lot more comfort with, oh, yeah, well, I'm supposed to be doing that and I'll, I'll be ready to answer those questions and so on. And so once again, I think you focus on outcomes. Uh, in some respects, you're not going to be able to see what everybody's doing every second of the day anyway. So that's kind of a uh a throwaway exercise to begin with uh but if you're focusing on what you're trying to produce what you're trying to get as an outcome I think you can then measure it and you can understand whether the right things were done and were things done right
1: so Rajiv if I were to uh you know compare this to say disaster recovery and business continuity planning and testing like you do pull the plug test but What if I were to say, Rajiv, just go take a trip to Hawaii for two weeks now. And if you had to leave and you were not as much in touch because you'll be busy on the beaches, what would you think will happen with the people? Would they continue to do things right and do the right things? And if you do not, Feel confident what areas do you think could potentially go down? And this is not a question for you, finger pointing, or, or, or trying to put you on a spot, but more for a leader. If any leader wants to, today, turbulent environment, can they take a vacation? Can they make sure that they could, in their absence, have their team do the right things and to do the things right?
2: Um, yeah, vacation in Hawaii sounds really good right now. <laughs> um, and uh, the, I think the answer is yes, I can. I can. Um, I, I took a week off last week. Unfortunately, it wasn't a vacation, but I had to take a week off, and the teams stepped up in a big way. We had issues. They didn't even, they didn't even text me. I just saw it come across the text message, but I didn't respond. Um, I think it starts with two things shadow of a leader, right? So, how do you teach people to do the right thing? People are watching you. And anything that goes wrong in technology, it's really my accountability. Nobody else's at the end of the day because I haven't grown my people. I haven't done the right things. I haven't built the right team. Whatever it is, it really comes down to me. Let's start with that. And, and my people know that. Uh, that's how I feel. Accountability is a huge, huge um, core value for me. The second thing is really having the, a strong leadership team. And what, what do I mean by strong leadership team? people that have a lot of emotional intelligence, people that are very good at what they do from a from a skill set, and and people who have the experience. And for me, what I really care about is how they treat people. So if you have a, a strong leadership team, then you can act. It doesn't mean that we don't all make mistakes. And then, now you have built a really strong leadership team. Listen to them. Collectively, their brains are smarter than yours. So I have to be open to them pushing back and saying, yeah, that doesn't make sense. So I, I think that's the key to building a strong team. What, is that, what happens now? And then I have a, a first-team principle. And the first-team principle is the loyalty in my leadership team is to each other, not to the groups below them. They So if somebody else is feeling the pain, everyone else will jump in to alleviate their pain. What does this do? It creates it, – it breaks down the silos under them and, and decreases the finger-pointing. So everybody's accountable because they're helping each other. That mentality, I think, is critical. And it's, we, you know, we're trying to push that whole thought process down all the way da- down the organization, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. So now, uh, John, while you know, both you and Rajiv spoke about your insights, what you learned, and I'm sure there's some growth that has happened even for you as individuals and for your people who were trying to do things. And, but now there's a responsibility for you to also help build other leaders, and if you know that there is no academy for building leadership as usual in this newer environment. So if you had to build one academy and a curriculum, if you will, what would you have put in there? Maybe one or two things that you can share and then Rajiv could share one or two things.
3: Well, I really uh, like a number of things that uh, Rajiv just talked about. And I I never use the terminology of first team accountability. I I like that a lot because we do that also, but we just never use that terminology. So thank you, Rajiv. Um, the issue of about emotional intelligence, I think is incredibly important. And particularly when you're dealing with, uh, you know, in the IT world, most of the people that are attracted to uh, IT are somewhat uh, introverted. Um, if we look at the bell curve, it's shifted to the left. Um, and so helping those people understand other people develop that emotional intelligence. And I do think that can be developed uh, is an incredibly important part of being a leader and understanding that, uh, you know, one of the things uh, I'm not a complete uh, uh, uh person to believe everything about Myers-Briggs, but I do like looking at some of the differences with people that might be in different roles of, you know, who's attracted to being a chief financial officer or chief operating officer versus a chief information officer and uh, how you might interact with uh, those different people and, and what they're their goals are and so on. That's when I think you really start to develop leadership when people understand others and how they fit together.
2: Rajiv? Yeah, I like what John said. Um, you know, he talked about the the bell curve being on the left side and I, I agree with that, right? So, when we're talking about an empathy-driven um, management style and that's what the shift is going to be, that's prioritizing people over process, right? So. Do we have, and I'm not talking about your first level of leadership, right, all the way down to the managers? Do they have the skill set required to be empathetic? Because all these years we've been talking delivery, 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 right? Now, if they haven't had that shift in in um, the the leadership education, how do you how do you create that mindset? That's one. So, you know, fortunately at Ryder the uh, HR team and the IT team are very close. IT is not. I mean, sorry. HR is not viewed uh, as an adversarial uh, uh, entity that you're, you're in trouble with all the time. They're collaborative, so they help us with a lot of uh, discussion around leadership, growth, and development. And and one of the things that that we recently did was um, uh, look at how how we can create leaders in this environment. And you know, they they. Um, There's a, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, program, but I I think it was something like uh, leadership, uh, remote leadership, and they're looking at all the nuance of it. But I think the biggest thing is just sitting with people and just having this discussion, like listening to John right now, uh, you know, even after this call, I'd like to connect with them because there's a lot of ideas that just sitting there and talking through it can give you some insights into it. So how do you create that open communication across the board? That's really what it comes down to.
1: So once again, thank you so much, uh, Rajiv and John, for sharing your insights about how organizations can work together with their leaders, the business and technology leaders, to actually build future leaders for this hybrid work environment. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, and it was a very nice meeting you, John. and thank you. Thank you, Sanjo. And we will connect, Rajiv. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) And hope uh, everyone liked it, got a few nuggets myself. Please connect with us on social media, subscribe to our podcast. And once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All, signing off till next week. Take care and God
0: bless.